Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. Midway along the journey of our life, I woke to find myself in a dark wood, for I had wandered off from the straight path. How hard it is to tell what it was like, this wood of wilderness, savage and stubborn, the thought of it brings back all my old fears. A bitter place. Death could scarce be bitterer, but if I would show the good that came of it, I must talk about things other than the good. How I entered there, I cannot truly say. I had become so sleepy at the moment when I first strayed, leaving the path of truth. But when I found myself at the foot of a hill, at the edge of the woods beginning, down in the valley, where I first felt my heart plunged deep in fear, I raised my head and saw the hilltop, shawled in morning rays of light sent from the planet, that leads men straight ahead on every road. These are the first lines of the poet Dante's famous work, the Commedia, the first lines of the Inferno. And that is my subject today, Dante and the Commedia. And my guest to talk about Dante and this beautiful, beautiful poem is the Reverend Hayden Butler. Hayden, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to be back. <laughs> it's season two. We're on our way. And this is something that I wanted to talk about with you way back when. But we had other things that we wanted to get done first. And so I'm just so excited to be able to have you back here to talk particularly about Dante. Dante is maybe the high point of Western literature. Uh, he is among the greats, but many would argue, including one of my favorites, Eric Auerbach, the great mm -hmm. literary critic of the 20th century, um, that he is the peak, the pinnacle. Um, and yet, what's so wonderful about our sort of pathway into Dante today is that you teach Dante to 15-year-olds. <laughs> yep. And, uh, and, 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 and it's not, you don't just teach Dante to, 15, to sophomores at the school, but I'll say this, uh, and it's anecdotal, but it is anecdotal evidence. I had a conversation with a group of seniors uh, this last year, and they were hanging out waiting for a class to start. I was leaving the room, uh, heading for a lunch break, um, and I asked them, I said this, I go, you know, they were wrapping their year up. It was right before um, sort of March and everyone disappeared, um, but they were on that home stretch, and I said, just tell me, what, what's the best class at this school? What is the most transformative class? What's the, what's the class you'll always remember? And it, it took them a second. And then one by one, they all named the exact same class. And it was sophomore literature with Reverend Butler. No small praise. I mean, these were like, you know, these were cream of the crop seniors, really thoughtful young people. And this was a couple years removed from that class in which they've had many beautiful courses. I mean, I, I, the curriculum at our school, I think, is just fantastic, whatever subject you happen to be in. And yet, to a person, like, wistfully looking off into the middle distance, they were like, it was Dante. It was, so it was sophomore literature with Reverend Butler. 
that was like the soul shaking year and that was the class and i was like so impressed that it was like all nine of them that said the same thing <laughs> which was extraordinary and again they hadn't just taken the class you know they had quite uh, uh some time to think about that some space and so many other uh, courses that they that they said they loved and yet it was this class it was mm -hmm. the dante class so maybe our way forward is me just asking <laughs> I know it can work, obviously, from that testimony, um, but why, why even like try to, in sophomore year of all years, um, to bring students, young people, teenagers, into what many feel is just an impenetrable text, a 14th right. century poem of all things. Um, what are you thinking? <laughs> No, it does, uh, you know, some years come by and it does feel like a, um, you know, it feels like a mad exercise, like a mad experiment, um, even still. Uh, but, you know, it, in our literature curriculum at, at Pacifica, we, we're all about that. We're all about um, reading the thing you were told that you're not supposed to you know, be able to read at your age, right? Um, uh, which gives it a kind of audacity, which I think spurs within us something that wants to prove prove wrong the voice that says you you can't um and there's a, so there's a little bit of that in there but um you know I, when i when i first read dante i was not much older i was i think 19 when i first read okay. the divine comedy in college um and as i look back on you know i, I still have the copies of dante that i was reading mm -hmm. uh back then and i was looking at my my sort of embarrassingly futile margin notes uh, from from oh, reading man. that first reading of Dante and you know all the things I thought I knew about <laughs> what that poem was about yeah, you yeah. know in that time and realizing um, that Dante is less of a um, a book you check off the uh, the list of things you're supposed to read in your lifetime and it's more of a um, it's more of a journey that you commit to having for probably the rest of your life. I think I've read Dante every year of life since I read it that first that first time. Wow. Um, and as it, uh, over the years, as each year has gone by, you know, between college, then through graduate school, where I read it again as part of the curriculum. And then when we built the curriculum at Pacifica, putting it in there and then reading it every year with the students, um, it, it's a it's a book that requires um, continual reading. And so it, it struck me at one point that, you know, some time has to be the first time. Right. And 16, you know, you're going to get some things. You're going to miss most of it, mm -hmm. um, just like I did at 19. Mm -hmm. And then um, as you go on to, re re to read it and reread it, um, then it, then it starts to unfold itself um, in, in that way. But, uh, but I think that, that that let off some of the pressure of teaching it to sophomores, because as long as, as you know, it, making the journey is important at some point. And, um, and I think at that point, you're still you're still teachable enough not to think you already know what Dante is going to say, mm. but you're also you're you're it, you're also immature enough. I want to say, and I say that really in a gentle, charitable way. You're immature enough um, that the world of Dante's Divine Comedy still feels really big, which is how it's supposed to feel. Right. Yeah. Right. I love that. So you know, you have to be introduced at some point. Right. And and it's not like teenagers are waiting to be introduced to the world in their own experience, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> they're experiencing all the world in a teacup, you know? I mean, like, right. there's an extraordinary amount going on in any young person's life. And and so, yeah, why, why wait, right? Mm -hmm. Why wait to get started? And especially as you framed it 
as something that you don't uh, accomplish right. or, or, or conquer, but something that you walk alongside with for the rest of your life. Um, maybe for, for those who are less familiar with it, which I imagine is most people, I mean, Dante, yeah. the name is known. Still obscure, though. Yeah, the Commedia or the comedy, the Divine Comedy might also be just familiar as a work, but could you just tell us, like, what is it? Um, could you describe maybe when a little bit about himself, uh, how this thing is put together so that it, it is something we could kind of get our mind around a little bit clearer picture? Yeah. So the Divine Comedy is a um, is a is an extended poem in three major parts uh, that was written during the the, the Middle Ages and uh, by a, an Italian Christian named Dante Alighieri. And um, Dante is a is a was a guy who um, I think many you know teenagers especially could probably relate to. Um, he's a guy who, as far as we know from most of his personal writings about himself, um, had a kind of um, you know a, a grand romance with a gal in his hometown named Beatrice. Mm. Um, and the romance that and that romance really forms a lot of the foundation for why he goes on to write all of this grand poetry and is seeking to understand his his great <laughs> love for Beatrice. Uh, and so Dante um, was involved heavily in the politics of his time um, and found himself at one point in a kind of ascendant position. His own party was like in power and, you know, he was the man. He was, you know, he was this famous poet. And then his party, as as always happens, fell out of power and he found himself in exile and forced to really reevaluate most of what he had, you know, sort of conceived of as the the, the permanent things of life. Um, and so Dante, when, by the time he's writing the Divine Comedy, is in a in a period of, of radical disruption mm. um, in his life, um, and he's he's questioning um, he's questioning the th- a lot of the things that he had given his life to, um, and a lot of the things that had defined him as a person, notably his commitment to Italian politics, mm-hmm. and notably his great love for this woman Beatrice, and he has a lot of time on his hands in exile <laughs> to really examine his life. And so in a lot of ways, it reminds us, I think, of like St. Augustine in his confessions, where he, he sort of has this moment of awakening in the middle of his life, in his middle age, and he says, huh, what has all this been about? What, what's, mm-hmm. what's the meaning of all that I've lived so far? And what unfolds is this 100-chapter uh, poem um, told in three major sections um, that is his sort, of, his sort of unpacking of the meaningfulness of his own experiences that leads him into a meditation on the meaningfulness of everything in mm. the universe, basically looking at how, his, how what he has experienced uh, then unfolds into a revelation of what, what God is doing in the whole universe. Right, and he, so that opening line, that I read from the Inferno is midway along the journey of our life, yeah. of our life, right? I mean, right. it's already a deliberate, like this is all things, right? But it is this, uh, it's like a midlife point, it's a midlife right. crisis, it's a midlife Oh, it's definitely a midlife crisis, yeah. Okay, so he, he gets kicked out of Florence, you said he was in Florentine politics, vicious city-state, oh, Italian yeah. politics, unbelievable, yeah. hard to even, maybe not as hard these days to fathom, but <laughs> but hard to fathom, like, yeah. the, the violence that would be attendant with any of these That's kinds right. of shifts in power, as you said, and then suddenly exiled um, for for the better part of 20 years until his death. Right. 
Um, I believe his grave is in Ravenna, mm-hmm. and it's fairly uh, muted and shabby, and they can't get him back to Florence. Yep. And they have, I've been to his uh, tomb in Florence, not knowing at the time that he wasn't there. He's not there. <laughs> <laughs> so Florence is trying to reclaim their exiled son, but and they made a beautiful tomb and be a beautiful statue. Um, but he's not there, and that's, that's so. Right. That's what's. That's one of those those fascinating things about you said disruption, dislocation, and this sort of distance. I mean, it reminds me of Joyce writing Ulysses, right, and being able to remap his entire life and the city of Dublin from exile, right. right? That you can see better from this distance, right? No, that's a great point. The 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 idea that sometimes you have to be um, pulled out of your normal in order to see the meaning of what you've lived, you know? Mm. That, yeah, no, I think that's right there. In, so yeah, I mean, I came to Dante probably around the same age because of a, because of an independent study at, at UCI in which I wanted to read things that weren't showing up on, on my class list. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they were usually sort of Western canon things that were a little outmoded for, for the school I was at. Um, but I had plenty of professors that were happy to help me read those things. And the way that it was framed, Dante and several other works that I read, including the Confessions in that independent study, was as conversion narratives, right? right? And I didn't frame it that way. That was the way the Renaissance uh, professor that I had framed it. And not knowing anything about Dante, I was like, a conversion? I thought it was sort of heaven and hell. And, you know, I thought it was sort of the afterlife. You know, I was thinking, you know, before conversion, not, you know, like afterward, this is what everything looks like. Um, And yet it was set up, as you said, as this like conversion narrative about an individual. Um, Auerbach has this line in in um, in his magisterial work, um, which I used to call mimesis because I liked the the long vowel sounds, but I think it's probably mimesis. Yeah. If I was to try to be a little more (laughs) accurate Um, in mimesis, he says the commedia is a didactic poem of encyclopedic dimensions in which the physico cosmological the ethical and the historico-political order of the universe is collectively represented. It is a literary work which imitates reality in which all imaginable spheres of reality are past and present, sublime grandeur and vile vulgarity, history and legend, tragedy and comedy, man and nature. Finally, it is the story of Dante's, i.e. of one single individual's life and salvation, and thus a figure of the story of mankind's salvation, which was your point. Marvelous. And I mean, and, and Auerbach, Dante is his favorite, and Auerbach is my favorite. <laughs> um, and, and he wrote his, what was basically his dissertation, Dante the Poet um, of the Secular World, yeah. in which he makes that argument that Dante sort of uniquely combines reality as it's actually experienced in ordinary historical life. Right. Um, in this poem and represents it through the Italian vernacular, not the high style, right. um, combines and sort of collides all of these, the, the, the sublime and the horrifying, uh, the mundane and the magisterial, uh, and all of these things in one place because such is human life, right? right? And such is ordinary experience. Some days are just depressingly boring and mundane other moments are rapturous and everything in between and and that like that ambition which you could certainly accuse Dante of ambition <laughs> very much so. um but but the fact that it is ultimately the story of a person hmm. finding their way to the love of god yeah um pulls all of the big stuff down to the level of 
a 15 or 16 year old or any of us um, who are trying to find our way right. in, in the same way. So when you do introduce, let's say students, to this and you bring sort of the bigness into the smallness and do you, do you find that they find it readable, accessible mm -hmm. from the start or does it take quite a bit for you to get them there? What's your experience maybe over the yeah. years? Over the years, um, the experience of it has been that it, there, there's there's different different places where you know it, again like Auerbach was pointing out uh, the the comedy is a is a is a world right. that you enter and like the real world um, it has certain things that you can approach readily and understand um, right away and it has other things that you that take extensive labor to be able to understand well so. You know, and, and, and I love that about this poem is that it, 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 it's something that on a single pass through, even a cursory pass through, you can pick a few things up. Mm -hmm. And if you want to commit your life's work to this, you'll, you can do so without really running the risk of exhausting it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's been my experience. If, if what, really, what really matters for a, a sophomore coming to the Divine Comedy is, are you willing to make the journey? Right. And it's not really a, a capability thing. Uh, at the beginning, it's are you willing to make this journey? And if you are, you will learn something from this. Um, you, uh, you know, I make a point in all of my literature classes to say, if this is your first reading of something, you will not get everything about it. You will not. You will, not, you will not likely not even get maybe the central thing about it, um, and that's okay. Really great literature. Um, if you, you know, I've heard it said once. If you really great literature. Um, is the kind of thing that defies the the desire to get it the first time. And if mm. you think you got it the first time, you're probably wrong. Probably wrong. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, so I think, I, I, but but I think like the real world, um, it has something for everybody in there. It has something th things that are plain, um, and 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 you know, something you can readily grasp, and things that take a, a really a lot of work to get. Yeah, know? I mean, to me, those opening lines, and maybe the mm -hmm. fact that you know, intentional. Maybe we could talk about this, but the fact that it opens in hell or heading into hell yep. um you know there's something you know as a as a as a milton person there there is something that is sort of immediately accessible familiar and and disturbingly enticing about right. the inferno about hell about suffering about you're like you know you want to watch but not watch the the car car trip you know wreck right. uh, that you're driving past or whatever um but like that opening like thinking about how many different times maybe i would have come across just those opening lines right as a teenager trying to figure out where my where's my life gonna go like what am i gonna be when i grow up like what like big decisions about big things but now like you know as a as a as a dad as a husband as someone with a with a career that's sort of opening up um, thinking about like, all right, well now, like, <laughs> well now, now, like, where are we? Like, where am I now? Like, what is this new place? Right. right. Um, like just how resonant that opening place is of, of the ability of anybody at any moment to say, am I on the right path? Like, do I see what I'm supposed to see? Is there darkness around me? Like, I mean, it feels as accessible as Pilgrim's Progress or anything that, right. that was meant to strike the immediate and everyday person, which is why I think it really has an access point that is, as you said, it's not about capacity. It's just about a little willingness. Like, do you want to go forward here, right? right? Um, maybe we could go to the Inferno first. Sounds good. Okay, <laughs> let's go to hell. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's significant that we begin... 
uh, that, that the poem begins in the inferno or in hell. And sadly, this seems to be where most readers of the comedy stop. Yes, this um, is the sensational. This is the sensational right. one. Oh, Dante's hell, the circles of hell. Like who's in which yeah, circle? So Why morbid. are Have they you in seen there? The drawings, you it's know, really and you look. There's a great series of woodcut drawings by an artist named Gustave Doré, right? Where that they're hauntingly beautiful and horrifying, especially the <laughs> ones of the inferno. And there's there's a there's an odd fascination with the inferno because it, it uncovers, um, it uncovers the a hidden thing, um, and it and it purports to you know to to lead someone into the mystery of sin, mm. um, which we we find very fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the beginning that you read is is significant as the beginning of the journey because um, it puts us it, it's a very it's very similar to the reader who enters into it saying, uh, you know what happens. What do you do when you when you sort of have this moment of awakening and you realize I'm no longer where I thought I was, right? And I'm no longer I'm not the person maybe I thought I was. I thought I was, and you know we 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 mm. encounter that. We sometimes think of the midlife crisis as a um, as a, a disruption of of the normal thing, and, and we look at it as a kind of evil, <laughs> yeah. right? And Dante seems to at first look at it as a kind of evil. Um, and that's part of the brilliance of this poem is it confronts that impulse in us to say uh, the, the the thing that accuses whomever out there for disrupting what we thought we were doing with our lives and says, you know, and, and, some, and turns us and ask, makes us ask the question, maybe it's good that I got knocked off uh, my horse here. Yeah. You know, maybe it's good that I have I've been interrupted. And what, what can I learn from that interruption? And so when 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 we go to the Inferno, um, Dante reflects a lot of times the disposition of a sophomore reader. Uh, he is reticent. He is fearful. Mm. He's a little bit lazy, uh, yeah. and and he is he's he's trying to make excuses for why he shouldn't have to make this journey. Um, that he's not ready to do so. He's not good enough to do so. He's very emotional. He's very emotional yeah. and fearful about it. And immediately, what happens in the Divine Comedy is exactly what has to happen for a reader of the Divine Comedy. A teacher comes along, right. the guide, Virgil, the great Roman poet, who Dante is a kind of fanboy of. Mm-hmm. Uh, he comes along and he and he's he, and he says it's like why are you waiting here there's a journey ahead let's right. go you know <laughs> and 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 so uh, he has this uh, he has a teacher immediately come to his aid we don't know exactly why at first mm. um, but as the story unfolds we find you know we find out what, what what's going on around Dante Dante thinks that you know he's sort of this the primary agent in this journey that he's about to take and he as the story goes on he finds out like there's this whole elaborate economy of loving relationships that go all the way up to god himself mm. that have moved to help him in this moment of of desperate need staggering he has no idea how much he how how in how much danger he was mm. and he has no idea how many people moved in love for him to help him in that moment of greatest need. And we won't know that for many, many chapters past this beginning of the Inferno. But uh, but so this is but this is how the journey begins is the teacher shows up and begins and begins this journey. And, and so we, we move into the Inferno with with that. We have to be led into it. Uh, what I love about that and what I love about where he's at in his life when he's writing this is, you know, uh, some studies have been done that seem more or less to agree that people make their biggest decisions about who they are and what they believe by around the age of 22. Right. <laughs> right. Which is terrifying if you think right. too hard about that. Right. Um, but the idea that a midlife crisis would be an appropriate and important moment of disruption, let's say in your thirties or your forties in our context, right. If, if we're living to, you know, whatever, um, 
as you get older, it becomes harder and harder to change your mind. Mm -hmm. As you get older, it becomes harder and harder to see things any other way than you've been seeing them. And so what an incredible thing if you actually had that kind of moment where you said, maybe I've been wrong, or maybe I don't know who I really am, or maybe, and, and started to push on that a little bit instead of fleeing that. Sometimes our midlife crises, we flee it to the, the Lamborghini or the new girlfriend or whatever the, right. the, the tropes are. Um, but um, you know, that is certainly the story of Orange County is, is we, if we come up as adults against a moment in which we're not sure if we're going the right way. Um, there are any number of ways to short circuit that reflection um, while trying to uh, address that problem, right? And yet this is acknowledging that this could be the moment or the turning point in someone's, in someone's life, in someone's true conversion, right? right? That conversion is a pilgrimage, that you haven't arrived, you haven't, you know, you picked everything by 22, what you think and who you are, and you, now you just write it out, right? right. But, um, but to think that adults could read this poem let's say not 15, 16 year olds, but somebody who's 45, right. somebody who's 50, somebody who's 60, somebody who's 30 uh, could read this and have that deep place of honesty and say, there are things in myself or things that I thought I would become or thought I understood. Maybe I don't. Maybe right. I've been wrong. Uh, maybe life hasn't worked out the way I hoped or expected it to. And maybe that's worth pausing over. Right. Um, now you say, this is what's so interesting, so four year sophomores, they get to literally have this reenacted because they have a teacher guiding them into yeah. <laughs> the poem, right? Right, exactly. Um, and yet, surely part of the reason that people don't in general read this poem is because there aren't teachers once you leave formal school settings or even college setting right. um, to sort of say, hey, like, let, like come this way. Um, so I, I know this is one episode, just a podcast, but that's kind of what this is about that's right is to try to just encourage people that there is a way into this mm-hmm. and it is worth taking that very that, much so that uh that little pilgrimage um now as you go into into the inferno and you begin to see um who's there uh tell us some of the kinds of folks that are there because this is sort of what makes dante dante <laughs> yeah so dante again he he's a he's a he's a, a wonderfully like uh he has a wonderful a wonderful mind that synthesizes so many different threads of human life he um, he's drawing from his own experience of people in Italy and so that a lot of the figures that he encounters are folks that his audience in Italy would be familiar with uh, rather in uh, whether in recent history or more distant history or even you know sometimes in the in the present moment you know uh, uh, some some people who have just recently died real uh, historical, uh, real historical people. people it would be like naming people naming figures that everyone knows um, and placing them in particular in, in particular circles of hell, it's a there's an audacity to it. Unbelievable, there, there's yeah. an unbelievable audacity to it, and um, and and so I I think to best understand who is in hell and why they're in hell or why they're in any other part of the universe, whether than they're in purgatory or in heaven, um, you know there is a we have to understand the the kind of the big the big picture of the comedy is is to impart to us that the universe. Um, is filled with the life of God, mm. which is love. Love is the life of God. And love, as Dante will say in the last lines of the comedy, moves the universe. It moves the sun and the furthest star. Um, and so everything is relativized by how one loves and how one is fi- either, um, either sort of assents to the love of God or rejects that love of God or distorts the love of God. And so we start out the comedy with 
a um, with a, a, a series of case studies in how love goes wrong. Mm. Um, and Dante is going to be using a, a, a kind of structure of seeing how um, there's there are, he goes from a sort of light to heavy kind of uh, kind of uh, progression here, where the initial things he sees are those where loves were almost great mm. and just went a little bit wrong and kept going that little bit wrong right. until they ruined the person that was was on that track, and then will progress to. Uh, deeply corrupt even total abandonments of basic love even the most you know basic natural of loves and so um, we'll we'll watch as the as dante picks paints a picture of the corruption of human nature is its distance from love from the love of god mm-hmm. and from the love that is proper to a human being and so uh, that that will paint our journey here. He will go deeper and deeper and deeper um, into hell, and as he does, he will see examples of how love went more and more and more wrong. Right. And as he does that, and this is sort of what's so terrifying about Dante's vision, because it is a biblical vision, right. is that what he's doing by naming actual human beings uh, whether he's right or not right. about every every instance or location or whatever, um, is he is saying, which is what you were saying, you are what you love. You right. become what you love. And that the historical decisions of an ordinary life are merely made permanent right. in this way, in the inferno. That, that, the, that people are in this fixed state mm-hmm. as they were in our world, so they are in this world. Um, he has scenes, uh, I think, of, of Farinata and Cavalcante, where he comes upon historical personages, one of which Farinata was importantly caught up in the politics, right? right? Um, and when he sees him, is asking, you know, which party you're from? Who's your lineage? <laughs> right. Like, he's still fighting a culture war of right. Florentine politics in his in his like sarcophagus that he rises out of right the first thing and the only thing on his mind is is still what was on his mind in our world before his death which is the most horrifying thing that that dante is saying what we are doing now Mm -hmm. has a perfect weight that there isn't you know i mean there's 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 so much we would want so much room to just say well, at the end of the day, you know, I just, I, I love God and, and you know, I, I'm going right. to be okay, you know, because, you know, I mean well or whatever. And, and for Dante, like what you do is what you are. What you did is who you are. What you loved is what you become. Right. And it's fixed in that way, which is what's so scary yeah. <laughs> about it. That's right. No, love is always active and, and how we act in love or in the distortion of that love uh, produces a, a habit in our souls. It produces a character. A, it stamps our soul in a particular shape. Um, and because of that, you know, you, you see the the instances of the divine, you know, of the inferno, all these different levels, and what's going on in those levels. You have, you know, the wrathful in, uh, you know, that are tearing each other apart mm-hmm. in a in a big muddy uh, kind of swamp. Mm-hmm. You have uh, the gluttonous who are who are hammered flat against the ground. By a driving rain and 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 sort of uh, and sort of flattened down, uh, you have uh, the lustful who are driven by a wind and sort of um, forced to and are sort of shoved into each other by uh, uh, in a way that that is out of control and violent. 
Um, and you go all the way down to, you know, to different instances of fraud where, you know, where that, that takes the character of its particular shape. You have uh, the hypocrites is one of the most famous examples of, of fraud in, in the Inferno where uh, the hypocrites are made to walk about in heavy cloaks um, that are that that are on the on the outside are gilded, so they're golden and mm. shiny, but on the inside are just filled with lead to weigh them down. And th- it's a it's a it's a perfect poetic symbol of what hypocrisy is. Right. Um, Contrapasso. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it's but the the um, the the point there is that this is not something that's being imposed so much as this is the this is the end of the story of a particular kind of love that goes wrong, mm. and. Um, if we could only see what was going on within us with a distorted love, um, distorted love always always is this thing. We just we live in a we you know we live in a you know we live in a way where some of these things are are veiled, you know, and we get glimpses of them. But the the comedy is 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 useful because it purports to throw open all these hidden things and show you, no, you think hypocrisy is this light thing that, you know, that, you know, does it really matter at the end of the day if I don't, if I'm kind of hypocritical? Turns out like this is what's actually happening. And at one point it becomes the permanent shape of the soul. It's what you are. It's what you are at that point. It's not what you're becoming. It's what you are now. Right. Um, And so we we can look at the Inferno sometimes as, oh, look at all these like poor people. And Dante himself does this all the time in the Inferno. He's, you know, at one point he says like, he's like, oh, God's justice. Who shall tell of the, you know, these things heaped thick before my shuddering stare? And why should divine justice punish us with like with with strokes like these? Mm. And and Virgil corrects him continually in this. He says, knock that off. He goes. This is not, you know, some mean god imposing something on. This is the, this is the inevitable conclusion of a series of choices that were made um, by these people, and this is what the end of that particular story looks like. It doesn't have a happy ending mm-hmm. if you continually persist in a corrupted love. And yet, it is called the Commedia. It is um, because it does not end in the Inferno, even though many people do. It's yeah, right. Uh, it's very. Like, a, a teacher of mine said it's very bad for your soul if you just read the Inferno. You should just not read it at all yeah. if you're just going to read the Inferno right. because it's 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 a terrible vision. You're and you're peaking something. Yeah, it is a tragedy, and you're peaking some sort of sick fascination. Yeah, you know that that I would assume you don't right. necessarily come away thinking that you belong in any of those places because right. it's so horrifying. Right. Um, and 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 so uh, we do not end there. Um, this is I mean this is a comedy for a variety of reasons. It's a comedy on the most uh, basic, as Dante himself says, because it ends well. Uh, it starts with heavy, tragic, kind of disruptive, dark circumstances. Right. Lost my way uh, immediately. There's there's dangers all around, and and then of course the 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 plunge into into this darkest of places. But um, but it ends in a, in a very different place, um, which makes it sort of properly a comedy. But it's also a comedy in the sense that it has the monstrous and the grotesque, mm-hmm. and it has what, what would have been called the low style, things that you're not supposed to treat with this <laughs> weight or seriousness, right. right? The subject of high literature is going to be great aristocratic figures doing or suffering you know, huge things, right? It's not going to be about any average Florentine, for example, and and the little minute choices they made in their day-to-day life. Um, And yet for Dante, he collides the the tragic, which is the high style, the elevated discourse, the sublime, 
heartbreaking stories of great people falling um, with with what can be the absurd, the ridiculous, the abject, the yeah. abject, the mundane, the monstrous. And and he is doing that at a time in which that is not often done and certainly not with this sort of historical concrete sort right. of nature of the figures that he's encountering or of himself as as the pilgrim. Right. Um, and so he, he goes through the inferno. It is sensational. I, I remember J.I. Packer passed recently. J.I. Packer um, used to say, like, no one should read this for the exact same reasons you said, um, that it was it was grotesque and it was it was unsettling for any soul. Um, and I think his sense was that's all people wanted to read and it's all they actually read if they thought of Dante. And yet, as you and I both know, you know much better than I do, the beauty of, let's just say, Purgatorio. Let's just say mm -hmm. the incredible sort of now Purgatory. So he, this figure leaves hell, crawls out of hell, right? Um, and, and then begins in this second book, uh, the Purgatorio. And tell us, give us a picture of Purgatorio, of, of Purgatory yeah. as Dante understands or as he presents it. Dante's vision of Purgatory is my is my favorite of the three yeah. movements. Uh, it, it is it, the most beautiful. It, I think I think so too. And 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 I think I think that you know there's a lot of reasons for that. But you know, Purgatory as Dante pre presents it, Purgatory is we we have to see that ultimately the Divine Comedy is hell and heaven. Right. There are only two places, and Purgatory is actually part of heaven. Um, mm. When we get to when we, in the comedy, and that's sometimes something that that uh, folks, especially in the more Protestant traditions, don't uh, they they kind of don't know just from from their from their traditional backgrounds is is Purgatory is part of heaven. You go through the gates of heaven to to be in Purgatory, and Purgatory is looked at. And Lewis, I think, is the one who kind of uh, looked at this term. It's a kind of putting on. Um, what you need to re to enjoy heaven to the fullest. Right. It's the preparation. The preparation right. for heaven. Right. Yeah. It's a preparing ground for heaven. And that is not without difficulty. Um, purgatory is a place of, of um, correction, of corrective love. Um, we, you know, we think of uh, when St. Paul talks about, you know, there is no father who does not, you know, correct his children, right? Mm -hmm. The author of Hebrews does this mm -hmm. same thing. He says, he's like, what father is there among you who does not, you know, like correct his children? In fact, we know that this is a mark of being a true child of mm -hmm. someone that, that, that out of love, a parent will correct their children when they are, when they've gone awry. And purgatory is this kind of corrective love um, that is expressed in all these different forms. And the thing about purgatory is that pretty much everyone there has the same problems as the people in the inferno. That's fascinating. Yeah. You know, there's a there's a there's a similarity, there's a, a structural similarity between inferno and purgatorio, uh, where you have um, a lot of you know basically a, a similar construction, a similar progression of things, except um, uh, the the thing that differentiates the, the the folks in the inferno from the folks in the um, purgatorio, and you see this in every interaction between everyone in the inferno is the people in the people in purgatory are willing to turn and say, I was wrong. Mm. And in fact, some of them just did that with the, the last molecule of their last breath. Wow. They looked up and said, help. Right. And that's, that's the dividing line between purgatory and the inferno is to look up and say, please help. Because, and because that's what's so important about that, that difference is, you know, the inferno and the vision of the inferno is sort of like Heraclitus, like a uh, man's character is his fate. Yep. Right. And yet in the Christian story, that's not necessarily not the case. True. Right. And so how could you reopen that? Right. And right. as you're saying, 
even if uh, these kinds of decisions were made in a life, even if it looks like someone who could very well have been in even the if inferno. it primarily, if not almost entirely, right. defined a life Thief on the cross, right? Um, the the one difference is help, help. Is, is turning to yeah. to God for help and, and being able to. I mean, that's repent, right? To be able to, to say, I was wrong. Yeah, help. Um, I'm and sorry. that is un- unbelievable because once you've been through the the, I mean, the weighty terror of going through and reading the, the inferno to feel that that little moment as you said the last molecule the last breath could open heaven um could open a, a totally different fate for someone whose character appeared to have decided otherwise right. the rest of their life um i mean this is grace this is this is love manifest in this way transformation right like this is an unbelievable little glimpse and like chink of light which i think purgatory captures so well because the blinding light of heaven can can make one think oh if i'm going to heaven that that's sort of my proper place right right? like i'm a christian i believe you know i'm gonna be with the lord forever and so (laughs) i'm going to just enter from this dark world into this brilliant light um, and and that can that could kind of redound to sort of a hubris that can redound yeah. to a triumphalism in the Christian experience, um, a disconnect from the reality of others around us. So many things can happen by not having some middle ground of wait. <laughs> That's right. What about repentance? What about conversion as a pilgrimage mm-hmm. rather than just a golden ticket moment or of an instance, right? And and so him letting this breathe and i know you let this breathe with the sophomores many of whom have no category for purgatory based on their uh protestant background and many of whom come to me looking for solace like we don't believe in purgatory right and i'm always (laughs) like what is what does he mean by purgatory right (laughs) Right. that's Um, right because they always want they want the answer do we believe in purgatory or not yep and and that is the problem right is this isn't something you're solving for you're trying to understand why would this preparation be necessary? Right. Why can we acknowledge that even though we might have these great Christian intentions, there is a gulf between what we are and what we have loved mm-hmm. and that face-to-face love of the divine that we will enjoy forever, that there is some difference, some radical difference that may be instructive and important now right. in our understanding. So what I love best about your class is that is, is purgatory because yeah. it disturbs everybody who has any familiarity right. with this landscape and with the Christian life. And again, I've had so many sophomores this last year running in to like look for the answer right. or, or some way out. And it was like you got to go through it. You got to go. You can't short circuit the journey. You got to. You can't short circuit the journey is the thing. And and, you know if and Dante, this is the whole reason why purgatory exists and its and its fundamental formulation. You know and you know there there you know it's worth admitting that you know historically there have been ways that the doctrine of purgatory has been historically abused and you have to and I admit that freely in the in the class when we teach this. Um, but that, you know, the abuse of a, of a truth does not always, doesn't necessarily negate the validity of that truth. And, um, and if we take fundamentally that, that, that salvation as Dante presents it is, um, is progress in the journey of love that, that has a beginning and, but knows no end that goes continually into God who goes on forever. Um, you know, there's a, you know, there's a, there's, there's a point where you say, okay, so if heaven is, 
is being is is enjoying you know enjoying God in a in an in this intensity in this reality in this in this fullness, and I die before I am sort of capable of putting that on. You know, we ask the question: Do I just sort of instantly you know pass straight into the fullness of a, of an ability to enjoy God? Or is there still room for me to be formed and grow so that I can enjoy heaven as heaven is meant to be enjoyed? Mm. Um, you know, someone someone's compared it to the idea of you know being in a dark room and suddenly having a you know the door thrown open and the other uh, to the outside world on a brilliant summer day, and the light hits us as painful sure. before Plato's we acclimate to else. it. Before yeah. we acclimate to it, and we can see and, and we come out of that darkness into the light. But the light very often when we come from darkness to light, which is again a very scriptural image. The light hits us like a freight train, you know. Mm-hmm. It's 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 rough a little mm-hmm. bit. It kind of hurts the eyes. It kind of blows out our vision for a right. while before we slowly kind of acclimate to it. Um, and there's a there's a mercy to the fact that that we're we're given the opportunity to grow into that. Right. And uh, and that's what motivates purgatory. And so to take for example, you know, you know, you know, someone we saw in the inferno. You have Farinata, who you brought up, who is this you know Florentine politician that was contrary to Dante and, and, you know, even in hell refuses to admit that there was a futility to the politics Mm. um, and refuses to admit that it it corrupted and ruined him. Farinata's whole thing is that, you know, if only we had won or if only we had played the game better, I wouldn't be here right now. This is a fluke of, of, of of cosmic justice that I'm even here. We meet a character in purgatory who's, who comes around the same, the same, uh, who comes, who comes with a very similar story, Sordello, Mm. you know, who comes in early on in purgatory, who's another, you know, politician who, you know, who, who played the game. And then at the end of his story says, yeah, you know, I played the game. And then I realized like, you know, then I, then there reached this point of futility where, you know, where I had, where, where I had to look beyond it. You know, and even though he starts out his conversation with Dante saying like, you know, who were your people? You know, right. like what was your party? <laughs> right, you know, right, he does right. something very similar to Farinata. Right, right, right. He says at the end of it, he at the end of it, Sordello goes with Dante. Right. He goes. That's he walks nice. with him. He says, "Let me show you and help you right. where you need to go." And Farinata just gives Dante the brush off and yeah, says, yeah. "You know, like may you get lost in this darkness forever." Yeah. You know, and and Sordello says, "But let me help you find your way yeah. now." And and that is this kind of dispositional difference that reflects that conversion into love. Right. Right. That is everything in the divine comedy. Yeah. And then, so, and, and I think, you know, for like an evangelical audience or whatever, the, not the absence of love, but the absence of a vision of, of this, of conversion as a conversion into right. love. Um, Cause it would imply that the longer we, we are Christians and walk with the Lord, um, the deeper we are getting in the love of God and the love of our neighbor, right. and that that would be evidenced more and more as a as a pro- proper progression of the Lord moving through the Holy Spirit in an individual's life. Right. And so, you know, whatever doctrinally someone wants to do with the category of purgatory or how they read certain passages, um, this is a poem being read by us now, and it is warning us of a kind of I mean, in some basic way, but of a kind of um, already there-ism, right? Of a triumphalist, um, you could, I mean, it can be mishandled in any number of ways, but once and always, you know, saved, um, came forward and put my hand up and said the prayer, um, all completely not illegitimate and maybe really important moments in a pilgrimage. But the loss of the language of a pilgrimage of growing in the love of God seems to be exactly why we should read Dante today. 
right? That, mm-hmm. that I mean, if nothing else, for the, the heavy reminder that Florentine culture wars are not reality right. in the divine presence. <laughs> right. And that neither are ours, right? That nobody on the other side of this is going to ask how you voted, um, but everyone will ask, and the Lord will ask how we loved. Yeah. Um, and so as, as he moves through purgatory, as he moves, I mean, it's a mountain, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it is all the spatial imagery is the psychological, is the spiritual imagery. Right. Um, further up and further in, we're, we're getting on this pilgrimage. Um, what is fundamentally different? What is the, where's the turn um, in how he understands love? I mean, he starts off not like lost. He's yeah. lost his way, right? Virgil comes along. He's not sure where he came from or why. He's sort of going with him. He's being uh, sort of pulled up short often by him, reprimanded for his reactions. Um, how does that love progress? Does Virgil just continue to teach him in certain ways about, about that love? How does Virgil, the pagan poet, you know, do that? Well, you know, Virgil is, is, is a fascinating character because he, you know, he's painted as a, a figure who's, who's thought very deeply about um, virtue and vice as, as, as sort of metaphors for the like, divine love. Um, and himself laments um, continually that you know he 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 lived before the time of Christ because like you know Dante because again Dante like, would have got it man. Dante's oh, a fanboy uh, and this is all Dante writing right and Dante is a Virgil fanboy and yeah. so he you know he paints Virgil as My you know if, if Virgil Virgil would have been a great Christian you know and, 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 you know if if you know if he'd lived just a century later and um, yeah and so we we ha- we have that going on but we we always have to remember this figure of Beatrice Beatrice right. Portinari. Is this uh, is this Florentine woman that Dante had an obsessive romantic love for, um, and it's painted in one of his earlier works. And he, uh, and you know, he's never he, he barely talks to her actually in his entire life, which is the it's fun thing. The kids always love yeah, this kind of thing, you know. Sophomore I'm like, crush. Like imagine, I always start this book with my La Vita Nuova when Dante's painting this picture. I was like, imagine being deeply in love with someone that you were. <laughs> You were just you were wildly afraid to talk to, and they're all like, <laughs> what, "Yeah, I'd, I've like? never known that before." You know, <laughs> I, I, yeah, exactly. Asking for a friend, I'm like, imagine playing elaborate social games to avoid having to actually directly address this person you had this obsessive romantic infatuation for. Like, yeah, no, I'm not. I mean, never I know someone that. that did once. You know, stupid book. Exactly. What a stupid book. Doesn't is completely unreal. And so we we talk about this. And so Dante thinks for all of Inferno and most of Purgatory, that he is making this arduous journey. And Virgil kind of lets him think this mm-hmm. for a good long while. Mm-hmm. He thinks that he is bravely you know, going through the, the horrors of the Inferno and the difficult climb of Mount Purgatory so that he can be reunited with Beatrice again. Um, because Virgil keeps dangling this in front of him whenever Dante is like, it's too hard. He says, but Beatrice is out there. Yeah, and so he's like, romance. okay, I guess I'll keep doing it for romance. <laughs> and he and he does this whole thing. And, and Virgil knows what's going on with Dante, but he doesn't always tell Dante what's going on with Dante. Right. And so Dante gets to the top of Purgatory. to the, at the And at the top of Purgatory in Dante's vision is the Garden of Eden. Mm. It's re-entering the initial earthly paradise so that humanity had lost. Yeah. Um, because he, you know, they've been they, they've sort of gone through this this the, the the purging of the of the things that had prevent that had sent humanity into exile from Eden in the beginning, 
So he gets up there, and there was this grand procession unfolds, and Beatrice shows up, and it's like, and Dante's like, oh my gosh, Finally. this this you know like the the the, the my muse is here, yeah. and this is the person I have loved so deeply that you know she has come down to greet me, and you know, and he thinks I've, I've loved her so well, I've gone through this whole, all, this amazing journey, and she's just going to reward me for all my labors, and Beatrice stands on the opposite side of this stream, in Eden, and Dante goes. Like, Beatrice, it's Maybe. you, you know? And Beatrice just smacks him down. And it's this <laughs> grating, grinding, like, halt of what we had expected in right. this poem. And she essentially indicts his love. She gives an indictment of his love, saying, like, you did not truly love me. Ooh. You were obsessed with me. Mm. You made me into an idol. Ooh. And it was God's mercy that took me from you in death at an early age, because if you had loved me, you would have continued to love me, and your vision of love would have been drawn up to God, where I now was even more glorious than as you knew me. But instead of that, you just forgot me and chose instead to be obsessed with a memory of me. Right. What do you have to say for yourself? <laughs> and Dante just crumbles yeah. in this in this horrible realization that like I, I'm not as good as I thought I was. Mm. And this is, I think, one of the most important, if not the most important moment for Dante in his transformative journey is what I thought was so great wasn't as great. And now I have a choice. What do I do? Do I turn into Farinata mm. and say, you're wrong. I loved you well. I did everything right, right and you're wrong. Right. Or do I say, I'm sorry. Mm. And he does the latter and it's everything. This happens in a particular class mm -hmm. that you have, and I know it because I got them after that class. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't just the girls; it was. It, I mean, yeah. it was. This one like, hits the guys sometimes a like lot more watching, harder. Yeah, it was like I, I wasn't sure what had happened, but as they walked into my class, they were like whispering to each other. They were like looking like into the corner with like stunned expressions. <laughs> I mean, it was really, it was really profound and. You know, I can think of uh, one of our students' slogan, and and she just kept doing this thing where her mind had been exploded. You know that there was this, there was a class in which this turn had happened. Yeah, it was like the reveal that you just gave there, and it shook them. Yep. You know, and it, it, I mean, it was so amazing to see a 14th century poem. Um, that no one's supposed to voluntarily just take on, right? right? Um, and that no one in any other or most other school settings would ever be introduced to until mm -hmm. if they wanted to take an elective right. as an undergraduate. Um, but to watch like the reaction to that moment and how it struck them because it was them and because it is all of us right. and because it is all the universe and it is an individual's life and we are all individuals yeah. in a very similar cast, you know. It was an incredible thing to see that they're in the course of that year, in what I knew was a very profound course that they were gonna have in their lives, there was a class, and it was that moment that I saw them on the other side of, and it was very clear that something had happened. And it was yeah. like it was like watching like the wreckage of like a bomb had that's, gone off. That's right. It really was. They, it was they, like they watching people Dante. like crawling into my classroom, mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, well, maybe we should just keep talking about whatever you guys just experienced right. because it was so, like, it was so shaking and I was just, like, getting the aftershock and it was still, like, really profound. Yeah. And I was just, like, 
it was such a testimony to his art, but it was also a testimony to the 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 divine truth of yeah. what he's talking about. Yeah, it, it, it's really one of those moments as a teacher you want you like I I've, I've I see as and I've seen teachers of in my own life do this where you know that this thing could change your life forever, mm. so just stay out of the way. Yeah, you know, <laughs> stay out of the way of it, and and it hits it, it hits hard to say to confront in yourself maybe for the first time saying the be- the thing I thought was the best thing about me. It's not what I thought it was, um, and I need help. And I need to say I'm sorry. Mm. Um, and that's where really the whole heart of conversion is, is in, is in staying in that posture saying, I don't yet love as fully as I, as I meant to, as I made to. As I made to. As I can. As I can. Yeah. And I need help to do so. We can't end before we get to no. the paradiso because that's what people paradise. do right they do they, they it's it's the hardest in that's so right. many ways because it is the least our world oh, yeah. right it is the least familiar it feels the most difficult <laughs> it is the most difficult um we can't we can't end without no. getting to where we, we have need to finish to get. the journey yeah and so when you get to that last leg of the journey when you get to paradise how would you say it i mean if you read all the way through yeah. and you don't take shortcuts and you don't spark notes and you <laughs> or whatever, whatever it is that any anybody yeah. at any age would probably You're now sixty seven contos or chapters into the comedy at the end of okay. of Purgatory. Right. So you're two thirds of the way there. Yep. And 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 so take us into that last place. Dante himself warns us about this in the first lines of the Paradiso. Um he warns us this is going to be the maybe the most difficult part of our journey because it is the least relatable. Um, heaven is a place of pure goodness and perfect love. Um, and there's a couple reasons I think that's difficult for us to read. One is um, a lot of times we find it boring. We like to bring we like we like stories that have drama, pathos, and tragedy in them. And Dante paints this out for us because the pilgrim Dante, the character Dante continually tries to stir up drama in the earlier chapters of Paradiso in the different spheres of paradise. He says, he says like, well, don't, don't you kind of wish you had a, you know, a different place in heaven? They're (laughs) like, bro, like, that's not what we're about here. We have, we enjoy everything as fully as something can be enjoyed. And we wish for no, no other life than the one we have. And, And they're basically shutting him down continually in that attempt. So that's one thing. We're we're kind of we we're addicted to, to to we're addicted to suffering, and we're we're addicted to tragedy, um, and we require that in our stories to believe that they're they're meaningful, um, and that's that, that reflects something broken in us. Um, so paradise is also hard uh, because it's it's a it's a densely theological text. Um, every sphere we're getting, you know, just. Unme- almost unmediated truth, just <laughs> truth bombs all over yeah. Dante yeah. all the time. Yeah. And Dante's mind is constantly having to be expanded to catch up to it, and so is ours, right? So you're getting, you're getting the whole thing. But the, the, the point, the whole sweep of paradise is important in this reason, for this reason because it's telling us the truth all the time in a way that back in the Inferno, everyone was lying to us right. all the time. Right. Everybody in the Inferno is lying. But we don't realize that until we reach paradise, which sets the whole record straight mm. and, and tells everything how it actually is. Um, and then the, the last reason I think uh, purgatory, uh, I'm sorry, paradise is, is difficult for us 
um, is, is because it requires of us an assent. We feel like we can kind of negotiate with the inferno and with the purgatorio. Um, we feel like we can, we can kind of assert our own experience into it and kind of level with it and, and play around with its concepts. Paradise is painted as this, just as, as a fullness that requires a yes. And we sometimes find that, I think, an affront to our, you know, our sense of, uh, of, of power as readers of a book saying mm-hmm. like, well, you know, I'm going to, I might not be persuaded by this. And in heaven, that's not really a question that's on the table. Right. You being persuaded by heaven is not really the point. You assenting to the realness and the truth of heaven is the entire point. Mm-hmm. And if you do, then you start to see the meaning of everything you've experienced so far, and you see it from an, an angle that, that, that teaches you the truth of all things. So a really great example of this is, is in the sphere of Saturn, or just past the sphere of Saturn. Uh, Beatrice, who is now Dante's guide in heaven, um, tells him to look back for the first time in the entire Divine Comedy. Mm. Um, every point to this point so far, he's been told repeatedly, once you start on this journey, don't go back. Don't look back keep going forward, keep moving. Um, and Beatrice says for the first time, look back. And he looks back and he sees in the, the great, great distance from, his, from the height of heaven that he has been lifted up to, uh, he sees the earth, which is barely visible. And she says, and perceive that even within that tiny, tiny speck that is the earth you left, uh, Florence. Mm. And all that grieved you from this perspective of God's height in heaven, where you've been lifted by the love of God and of all his people who have led you here. Um, perceive the meaning of that, of all that grieved you in light of all that is. And it's this startling moment mm. of saying, of, of, of recontextualizing everything. Right. And then she says, now turn and see the end of your journey, which leads us into the throne room of God. And ultimately, we look from we look to all these people, all these actual people, both uh, throughout salvation history, and then ultimately they're all saying, "Hey, keep looking up, keep looking up, keep looking up," and then we see God Himself. And Dante has this beautiful moment where, where he he's, he starts perceiving God the Trinity at the height of heaven, and his imagination he perceives his imagination, his his mind, his heart, all that is about him being moved by something other than him. And he perceives that it's God himself leading him into himself. Uh, God is Dante's final guide Mm. in the divine comedy. And he, he alone brings Dante into the, into this final vision of, of God. And Dante says at this point, high, all my sort of high imagination fell away and all the words of poetry fell away. It was, and I perceived within myself that my will all that I wanted and all that I would do was being moved by love, mm. the love that moves the sun and the furthest star. And that's the end. And that is the end. That journey is one, as you said, you don't, you don't want to take once. <laughs> you, 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 wanna, you want this to be in your sphere yeah um but you have to start somewhere you have to start sometime yeah and so we just want to really encourage people you don't have to be a sophomore at our high school (laughs) to to start um and there are 
so many lovely translations. Mm-hmm. Um, the one I read from, the Mark Musa, is, is typically used because it's yeah. so clear. It's so very, very accessible. clear, very readable. The notes, um, you know, the, the, the footnotes in it are very helpful yeah. if you're like, I don't know anything about Florentine politics. Right. And I didn't know I needed to. Um, Musa will give you what you need um, right. to, to make that journey. Um, yeah. And in a way that is, is succinct and clear, um, he is taught typically at college level um, for being so accessible. Right. Um, do you have other favorites that you, you know, if people are just looking yeah. at a, a, a bookshop or uh, at one of those, maybe like a used seller online, you just kind of see some different names and yeah. you have something you'd recommend as a way? I recommend Musa. I, I give it to my, to my sophomores yeah. because of its clarity. You want to start with a readable translation. I think that's that's probably the one I would recommend for most people on a first reading of Dante. I came at Dante the first t- time through a uh, through the, uh, the translation at the time of of Dorothy Sayers, who was one of the Inklings and, right. a, and, a, and a contemporary of C.S. Lewis. Um, she did an ambitious project where she tried to maintain in English uh, the rhyme scheme of Dante in Italian and which is, you know, is audacious, ambitious. It's it's a wonderful flexing <laughs> of the power of English, but it lack it just it's difficult. It's yeah. a difficult it's a difficult thing to read. Um, and I wouldn't recommend it as a first reading, although I would recommend it later on. Um, another uh, one that I found um, uh, fun to read is the Anthony Esselin translation, which is um, it's written in English blank verse. And uh, so did he just do the Inferno, or did he continue? He did all three. Oh, he did. Uh, yeah, okay. he did all three. I have the Inferno, and and uh, and, it, and he uh, and he's taught widely on it. His notes are, are helpful in mm-hmm. it, um, especially he he captures a lot of the um, the the kind of Christian formation uh, yeah. notes uh, that are to be observed in in uh, in the in the comedy. Um, he he's a you know he's a he's a he's a very vocal and faithful Christian uh, who wants to um, who wants people to see the transformative impact that reading Dante is, um, uh, and so I, his notes especially are really helpful as a as a supplement to it. Um, and so I think you know anywhere in there that's probably a good way good place to start. The the point the thing I would encourage um, everyone listening who's thinking about reading Dante um, is is just like real life. Um, you know, we go through we go through life not understanding everything, and that's okay. Um, the world is bigger than our ability to just to, to grasp every little thing, and and thank goodness for that. Um, I would say uh, the point is, like Virgil says to Dante in the Inferno, um, keep going, um, see it through, um, and and I think if if people do, they'll they'll be changed by it. Um, and, 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 I, and, I, and I think that if, if someone has read Dante or tried to read Dante in the past and put it down or finished it once, go back to it because it really can change your life. Yeah. Reverend Butler, thank you so much for joining us, for inviting us into this, for being, uh, for being our early guide uh, oh, to this, pleasure to be here. this beautiful world. And thank you for listening. Um, I do hope you will pick up uh, Dante's comedy. That's our time, my friends. If you would like to support the podcast, please do subscribe and rate us on iTunes. And if you would like even more content and to become a patron of the podcast, head on over to FromBabylonWithLove.com, click on Newsletter, and sign up there. 
until then, many thanks to producer Zach Leach for all the twists and turns, and to Lonesome and Muddy, the only house band that'll survive the apocalypse. This has been From Babylon with Love.